0: Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. So good to be here. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're all the way up to chapter seven. Got a new chapter, uh, and that's terrific. Now, before I start, I want to do something very personal, um, and that is honor my father right in front of you. My father and stepmother, they, they watch uh, these sermons all the way down in Georgia, and, uh, and, and they're normally very supportive, but my dad had a bit of a critique, uh, last time I wore this shirt, so I had to make sure I wore it again, and he said uh, it has a big symbol on it, and I can't see what that is from where I am, so so I'm going to tell everybody this is a world wrestling, I don't know what the next word is, federation or, or what? Entertainment, WWE, right? Not WWF. World Wrestling Entertainment. Now, I haven't seen professional wrestling since Dusty Rhodes, and you guys... And anyone who laughed, you're old. But we're talking, it's been a long time. But I got the shirt as a gift, and so, and, and when you're my size, if you have a shirt that will tint this beautiful physique, you wear it. So, Dad, that's who it is. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 13. <laughs> they couldn't hear you on that side, so we're going to let that one go. Mark 7, let's read along. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Their hands weren't clean in the way they would clean them. And then we get a parenthesis here. Um, where Mark explains to us why that's an issue. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and the washing of pots. It doesn't mean that they only did the dishes some time, and other people didn't, it meant there was a ceremonial religious cleansing when you go in the marketplace, be around Gentiles or perhaps animals, you had to do a second cleansing. It has nothing to do with the coronavirus, um, you know, it's all kinds of, kinds of people cleansing themselves in various ways these days, and the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining uh, couches, if I'm saying that right. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, I said that in a very kind way. They were probably a little bit accusing when they said it. And he said to them, Well, this is a rough answer. I don't know the tone of voice I should use here. So you come up with it yourself. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It isn't in my notes, but just let us always remember Jesus isn't that safe guy everyone thinks he is. He goes around frightening his own apostles on purpose from time to time, and he just says right to people's face, you hypocrites. I'm not saying you and I should do that. I'm just saying Jesus is not quite as tame as we think he is. So he, he looks at the leaders. These are, these are Pharisees, so those are their priests, okay? And it said some of the scribes, those would be some, some, uh, some of the Pharisees from the south, some of the important religious people from Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the mother church. So if you were somewhere in Sicily at the bottom of Italy, right? At a Catholic church and all the priests came around. But then a few of the guys came down from the Vatican, right? That's what this is like. They're very important people and they're criticizing him. And he turns on these very important people and says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this, and he's quoting scripture himself here, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain. They are going through the motions. They're washing their hands. They're washing their bowls. And they're saying it's for me. But it's in vain. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God. And you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Wow. Jesus says, you have a fine way. He is being sarcastic. Now, again, I'm not giving all of us permission to be caustic or jerks or troll people on Twitter or Facebook. I'm just pointing out, Jesus was, who never sins, he knew when to be sarcastic. He was tough. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish, like there's many ways. You ever have a mom who said things like that to you? That's a good way to get your head knocked off. And you're like, mom, are there other ways to get my head knocked off that aren't so good? (laughs) He's saying that, right? You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. At this point, the the crowd is very interested in the conversation, no question, because not only did Jesus go there by calling them hypocrites, but now he's really laying it on. If you're the kind of person who cringes when people are in conflict around you, you're uncomfortable right now. If you're the kind who cheers, you're cheering right now probably. You're enjoying it. And he says, For Moses said, and then he quotes the scripture, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Um, you who are listening to me who have teenagers, it's time to bump them with your elbow right there, okay? You make sure they hear that part. If you revile father and mother, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. He starts with the washing, right? <laughs> then he moves on. Um, the Pharisees and scribes made a big mistake over the centuries. To look at the big picture, they, they were the Bible teachers. It was their job by God to, to teach. They're, they, they're, they're supposed to be in that office. They're not... They're not necessarily doing a bad thing by being Pharisees and scribes. But where they went wrong was they began to build traditions to, let's say, enhance the Bible. Practices that were religious to help the people follow God. And eventually, as time went on, their rules and practices of religion became equal to the commandment of God. And then Jesus even points out there are times when your commandment becomes greater than the commandment of God, right? Um, They said, why don't your disciples wash before eating? They're accusing the disciples of sinning. Now, there was nothing in the Bible telling all the Jews to wash in that certain way that they were being told right then. There are things about washing, but not what they were saying. So the Bible, or the, 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 the Jews were, they're free to not wash, biblically, but the religious leaders were saying, you have to wash. So you, do you see the problem? And, and so, so now they're coming, and they're, they're, the, the, the religious leaders, and holding Jesus' guys to their standard, saying they're blowing it. Jesus' rebuke, his evaluation of them is, your lips are honoring God. You're saying the reason we wash after being in the marketplace, the reason we do this ceremonially is because we honor God. And Jesus says, well, your lips are honoring God. But your heart, he's quoting Isaiah, is far from me. There's a distance issue. You're not close to God. Um, so then he gives his own example. And it's about financial responsibility. This this is kind of hard for us Westerners. Well, it's not hard, but we just have to imagine a different way of living because God has blessed our land with so much wealth, so much wealth, that most of our elderly take care of themselves even after they stop working. Not all, but most. And and the government will even send checks to them. Um, this is not the way of uh, the law of Moses. If If you're elderly and you haven't, Hopefully you reached that point back then where you can care for yourself. But not everyone did. But that was okay because you had kids. And your kids had a certain responsibility. If mom and dad couldn't work anymore and they couldn't pay for themselves, their kids could. And so what he's saying is, you have a rule that you wrote. Because people were saying to you, I'm out of money because my parents I've got to give to my parents. And, and they actually made a rule that said, no, if you, yeah, you should take care of your parents, but, but first you give to God. And if you first give to God and you don't have money to give to your parents, that's okay. It, it takes the place of that money. And then Jesus points out, your parents are starving to death <laughs> and you think that's okay. And that was his example. But then he says, there's many other things you do like this. So, so the, the, the problem with the system <laughs> is not unknown to us, right? Um, um, traditions of priests and preachers and pastors and ministers and not just Jewish leaders can overtake the traditions of man um, uh, or traditions of God, the words of God. Just today, I happen to be, well, I was with Mike Harvey, one of our campus pastors, and he took me to this, this sacrilegious place. It, what's it called? Um, it's a great big Catholic church that's now a restaurant um, in Pittsburgh. What's the name of that place? Church Brew Works, right? And I was pretty much okay with it, except the beer on the altar. I couldn't help but think that's a symbol of our age, that, you know, you have the stained glass with crosses and beer. We worship the beer, but for the most part, it's, it's a building. They weren't. I wish we could have used it. We could have put a campus there. But in any case, this led to a conversation between me and Mike. I grew up in that tradition. He did not. And he was kind of trying to figure out the holy water bins. And he thought you wash your hands in them. I said, oh, you don't wash your hands. That, that's, that's sacrilegious to wash your hands. Although some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of you do. Could you imagine how insulting it would be to go in there and wash your hands and scrubbing your face? <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You you just you just put your finger there, and you—that's it. You bless yourself. And and I was explaining something. You got to genuflect when you sit down, and all this stuff. And I walked out, and him being raised a Protestant, me being raised a Catholic. He said, "I don't understand how people can do that." I'm like, "Well, it's just like." Now I don't mean to insult anyone who was Catholic before, but I told my experience. I said, for me, it was just like a good luck thing. You do it, and something good's got to happen, right? well, what had happened there? I had learned that if I show up, I take the wafer, I do the thing, I do this, you know, I'm getting a blessing from God. It's it's very, it's not abnormal for traditions to come up like that. The question is, when does that tradition cross the line to being greater than the word of God? I think to start Answer this question, we have to ask this question. Which traditions are essential to worship and practice? And I don't want to talk about the Catholics, and I don't want to talk about the Jews. I want to talk about us to make sure we stay on our toes. We don't want to criticize others when we're not looking at ourselves. At Harvest Community Church, what traditions and practices are essential to our worship? You start there, and then you know what isn't. The answer is whatever the Bible says is essential. I know, that was too easy, right? God makes the rules. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says when you set up your church, you should have an organ on one side and a piano on the other and a lady who works hard running back and forth between them while you sing from a hymnal. It's right in the Bible. No one got that joke. I'll slow it down for you. I guess I'm trying to make the point is, uh, did you ever realize that the Bible tells us how to worship, and yet we have a way that we worship, and we might never ask. I mean, churches fight all the time about how to do church, but where do you start with how to do church? Normally, it's what? It's whatever we experienced growing up, right? That's how you do church. Whatever I experienced growing up, that's how I do church. It could be right. Could be wrong. Well, tonight we want to check. See, the Pharisees made a mistake we did not want to make. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That language shows the danger. Doctrines or teachings from God that we should hold right up. It's the Ten Commandments level. You do not... They're taking taking commandments men made and mislabel them. This is what God said you must do. And to avoid this mistake we must stick close to the Bible's teaching on worship. So what does it say? Here comes the list. Most of the verses are going to pop up in front of you. Some of them won't cuz there's so many. I had to leave some out and I just couldn't. I just went back and started putting more in. So just pay attention. <laughs> I'll try to be clear. First of all, we gather. First of all, we gather together. The word church, ecclesia, means the assembled ones. The assembly, right? We come together. <laughs> um, if you don't come together, you're not an assembly, right? Could you imagine having a team and you're never on the field together? <laughs> well, that's not really a team, is it? Um, the, the coming together... It, causes some people all sorts of problems, because sometimes they have social problems, they don't want to be together, or sometimes they're lazy, they don't want to meet when other people meet, and sometimes they don't want other people holding them accountable, and they'll say, well, I don't got to go to a church to be a Christian, and they try to pull back, or they'll criticize it. I believe in Jesus, I don't like organized religion. Well, you organize everything else in your life, or you'd never make a dinner date, right? You'd never, you'd never be at work at the right time and place, <laughs> and you'd never have a meeting, we got to organize this thing we have to gather and meet did you know Hebrews 10 25 says that we are not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing the the interesting thing here I'm gonna drop some Greek on you I don't like doing that because I first I don't want to make myself look like an expert in Greek because I'm not but I also don't want you to make make you think you need to be understand the Bible, because you do not. We have good English translations, but this is kind of a cool word. In Hebrews 10.25, when it says, do not neglect meeting together, I thought, what is that word meet, meeting in Greek? The word is one that I think you can recognize, though you've probably never heard it before. It's, I don't know how you say it, but uh, uh, as far as the emphasis on the syllables, on the syllables, but I'm going to hear it. Here it goes. Episynagogian. So if you take the epi off the front, epi and you take the ain off the end, because one's a prefix, one's a suffix, in the middle you have what? Synagogue. Synagogue. Oh, beautiful. So we have the ecclesia and the synagogue, which is the Jews would take as their local church, not the temple. That's their one time where you go for festivals, the local church. So without question, the Bible saying, meet together. Well, what do we do when we meet together? The earliest verse we have on this, after the Lord ascended into heaven at least, is Acts 2.42 when it said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So if you take those elements, first there was devotion, there was a motivated desire to do these things, right? To do what? Uh, To learn what, the, what was the apostles' teaching? Well, it was the teaching of Jesus. They knew Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. They knew what he said. They knew what he did. They knew their Bible, which for them was the Old Testament. And what they taught was the gospel. Everything they taught was the gospel, the good news. So they were devoted to learning. Apostles, tell us what he taught you. Second, fellowship, which is a, like Christianese now, for community. They devoted themselves to Community. Um, sometimes you can say, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sit in the back. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get out. Hopefully no one talks to me. And now I'm not trying to say anything about the people sitting in the back of this particular building or any of the buildings we're in. But maybe if you're in a building, you could look to the back and see who it is and see if they escape really fast when we're done. (laughs) But (laughs) there's got to be some access to community, right? One of the reasons Harvest has community groups Some people say, some people go to community groups, they come from other churches, and they go, but it's not a proper Bible study. I know it isn't. We use a Bible, and we talk about the sermon and how to apply it, and we we are all for these regimented, smart Bible studies. You should be diligent to show yourself approved. But our culture would rather have these kind of non-intimate, don't-make-friends Bible studies Sometimes, instead of a community group, we are actually having to spend time knowing one another. Next, they ate together. They just ate together. Yay! (laughs) I meant that. (laughs) It's It's a good Christian thing to do. And they prayed. They were devoted to their prayers. Now, this is a very helpful text, but there is a problem with it. It's... Descriptive, not prescriptive, right? What's that mean? Well, it describes what they did. It doesn't tell us to do that. Now, it's a pretty good indication we should copy that. Um, but it, the Bible has a lot of those, right? It has descriptive texts that you should... That doesn't mean you should copy them. Abraham had more than one wife. It does not prescriptively say, you should have more than one wife. So someone said, well, Abraham had more than one wife, yet described what he did. It never said, good job, Abe. <laughs> it didn't say that. It didn't say, you do it. So this is descriptive. So what about some prescriptive texts? There are many. I picked a good number of them, but there are more. Um, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. So teaching and admonishing. So there's the teaching. What's admonishing? It's reminding one another of your spiritual duty. That's what it is. It's the, well, since we're Christians, we ought to blank. Since we're Christians, we ought to do this good deed. We ought to do that. We ought to bring the gospel to our friends. We ought to send some people over to Indonesia to bring the gospel. Admonishing is that. So those things should happen when we gather. And then it says singing psalms. And there are some church denominations that sing only psalms. They're so afraid of getting it wrong. They live in fear and faithlessly sing only psalms. That's okay. There are weaker brethren. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just being honest. They're weaker in their faith, so they only do psalms. That's okay. That's what they want to do. But there's also hymns and spiritual songs. (laughs) What are those? Well, they're not our hymns. Obviously, they're Jewish hymns. So we had to do Jewish hymns? Not necessarily. I think when when he has three ways of saying songs, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, well, now it's a free-for-all. It's his way of saying, sing, doggone it. (laughs) Sing. But there is a caveat. You should have thankfulness in your heart. So when we get together, we can sing provided the songs are directed to the Lord. Um, It's not a time to sing Inagata De or stuff like that. Maybe Stairway to Heaven. Maybe. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 16.2 On the first day of every week, which was Sunday, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, He was talking about taking a portion of their giving and giving it to him because he was going to feed the poor in Jerusalem. But what we have here is a weekly habit of meeting weekly. Now, Paul, another place says, let no one hold you captive on any particular day. So um, I'm sure they could have met Saturday like Jews did. But here they were in the practice of meeting on Sundays. And that's okay, right? But the the point I'm going to sit on that we can be sure of instead of fighting over the day of the week, which we do not do at Harvest, is say, there is this regimented habit of, if you can, at least once a week, gather. Very important discipline Um, for your soul, right? God knows our rhythms. There's something about one in seven that we need to refresh ourselves. That's why he said make sure you take a day of rest. Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. We're not here to serve one day. That day's to serve us. And, and, you know, work real hard seven days. Take a day and relax your mind, your feet, your body, and think about your God. So um, if, he's, if, if they're meeting once a week, <laughs> that's a good example. But also they are, they're, they're giving once a week, according to how God prospered them. Uh, James one twenty seven. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows. Now, orphans and widows represent a group of people. We don't have the orphans and widows issue in America like they did. Our orphans are all in foster care. So visiting them might mean becoming a big brother or a big sister or uh, becoming a foster parent, or adopting a child. Whereas them, they were right there out in the open, and there were orphanages and stuff. And widows generally are not, just because they're widows, destitute and living on the street, or beggars, (laughs) like they could have been there. Um, But they might be. But the point is, you have people who, they need other human beings to help them get through life, because the people they depended on are gone. And so... It's good deeds to those in need. And it could be emotional needs, obviously physical needs. Uh, And to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we do good deeds for other people. And we avoid sins that surround us in our culture. Unstained from the world. Avoid the sins that are around you. Now, here, um, as a church, (laughs) we should not bring those in when we gather. Because that's good religion, obviously. And that means when you're out there, you're going to have to uh, avoid them. I'm not going to go into that because of time. But let's move on to the next. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And then look at these ways he says to preach it. Preach the word. There should be regular preaching of the word when the church meets. Right? And he says, look. Reprove. Rebuke exhort. <laughs> so you're saying, make sure you do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. If someone is doing the wrong thing, you rebuke it. That's sin. Stop. Exhort. Exhort means start where you are and move ahead. How, how are you doing with Christ? Are you lost? Find Jesus. Are you found? Give him your heart. You're moving people ahead. Do you want to serve the Lord? Step out. And then finally, with patience and teaching, there's an instructional element to preaching right? An, preaching is the declaration of the truth, by the way. It's the authoritative saying, this is what the Bible says, we believe it. So it's just this blah, declaration. No, I shouldn't say blah, okay, that came out wrong. Um, I don't want to disrespect preaching because I love it. It's, 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 it's hear ye, hear ye, thus says the king. Now it's hear ye, hear ye, thus says the Bible, which is the word of the Lord, okay? So that's preaching. That's different from teaching. Teaching is, let's break this down so we all understand it. Do you see? Well, your preaching better include teaching. And it should be patient. Why? Because it takes us, a t- we need repetition to learn. Don't get mad at people because I, I try to teach them and he, I guess he's just not a committed enough Christian to get it. You know, come on. Um, be patient. That's what we do when we come together. First Timothy 4.13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. By public, he doesn't mean out on the corner. He means in the gathering, to exhortation, and to teaching. So reading the Bible together. This is many, but not all, of the prescriptive with some descriptive in it. Text telling us what is essential to our worship. I'm going to summarize some and then add a note. So, this is for our map. What are the elements of worship we learn from the Bible and the ones the apostles practiced? They gathered weekly, they ate, they encouraged, they sang, they prayed, they taught, they gave, they preached, they read the Bible, they did good deeds, and they avoided sin. Now, a quick word on the ordinances there's two traditions, let's call them religious practices that the Lord instituted that we follow. One is baptism and one is what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the entrance into the church. We at Harvard, you know, there are good Bible-believing Presbyterians that baptize in the Presbyterian way believing that you don't have to baptize saved people. You baptize people who are part of the church. They're entering into the covenant. And there's Methodists and Lutherans who also do some sort of child baptism. They do it the Methodist way and they do it the Lutheran way. We hear... Do it God's way. (laughs) That's supposed to be funny. It didn't come off that way. But anyway, maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been afraid of coronavirus all week and you don't know it's okay to be happy, but okay. I'll let it go. In all seriousness, we're not going to fight with all those people who love Jesus and may see different things in baptism. But the way we do it at Harvest is we see it as believers' baptism. You have to be a believer. It's a one time event, you don't do it every week or every day. Um, you could do it more than once, I guess, there's no prohibition, but it's pretty much one time, and it means I'm with you guys. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I went under the ground with him, I came out alive. My sins died, I resurrected with Christ one time. Um, and then the Lord's Supper was a command of Jesus. You know what that is, the bread and the drink, the wine and the bread. Our wine is generally um, not fermented, just so nobody stumbles, but um, Uh, How often are we to carry that out? Well, believe it or not, the Bible doesn't tell us. We just get hints. But it does tell us to carry it out until he comes back. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 is our text on this. 23 to 26, Paul says, For I received, this isn't on your screen, so listen carefully, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Obviously, the bread isn't his body, it's bread. But he was going to die on a cross, and his body is true food. He needed to die for our sins. So this is going to be a memory tool, eating bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, signifying the blood of Christ Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Now for any, I'm not going to say in the negative, say in the positive. So what we see here is Jesus is instituting a practice because he's saying do this in remembrance. Well, he's still right there. He hasn't died on a cross yet, which means those events have to be in the past. And when they're in the past, I want you to take time aside, take some bread, eat it, remember that my body died for you, take some wine, drink it, and remember that my blood was shed for you. Right? So it's something you do as a remembrance. And then he says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, says Paul. How often? He doesn't say how often. I don't think you can do communion when you gather too often. Um, But for those who want to make a law, it's not really worship if you don't do this. You, you have a very thin leg to stand on on the Scripture. There's nowhere in the Scripture you're going to find that command. In fact, it just says as often as you do it. So if you're like really a, an OCD pastor, you could be like, we're going to do it like 14 times every service to make sure we do it enough. <laughs> you could go nuts with it. So you've got to be reasonable. At Harvest, we, we set it on our calendar on certain dates where we all do it at all campuses. But then each campus pastor can do it as much as he wants freeport campus every single week they take communion um that's fine but as often as they do it you when you do it you're proclaiming the death of the lord all right so those two ordinances are special okay then so that's the essentials you with me well what's the non-essentials when we gather for worship <laughs> harvest everything else everything else Now, non-essential does not mean not acceptable. Extra-biblical doesn't mean non-biblical, right? Right? Because it doesn't say in the Bible what time to meet. It's an extra-biblical idea that we meet at certain times. That doesn't make it (laughs) unbiblical, right? So, but what are the non-essentials? I'm going to give you some examples. Having a pulpit. Having a stage. Having pews. Having chairs, having a piano, having an organ, having guitars, having drums. Now, I want to say drums and guitars are essential, but no, they're not essential. Bass, too, right? I mean, a little keyboard, Moog synthesizer. No, not essential. None of them. Buildings? Not essential. Steeples? Not essential. Decorations, religious symbols, and stained glass? Not essential. Hymnals? Nope. Singing the doxology after you take up an offering? Not essential. Dress codes? Well, I think I'm going to say not essential, although remain unstained by the world means we should be modest, but still, dress codes themselves? No. Sunday school? Nope. Kids' church? Uh uh-uh. uh. Bulletins? No. Safety teams, no greeting teams, no written prayers, no standing or not standing to read the Bible, no use of technology, no websites, no Good Friday service, no Monday-Thursday service, no Christmas Eve service, no I could go on, do you get the point? All churches tend to exalt what they practice as equal to the essentials. If we give ourselves enough time, even at a 21-year-old church, I think about what we are we already rigor mortis can set in (laughs) and it looks like elevating non-essentials to essential and that's okay to have non-essentials you've got to have non-essentials we live in a practical world plus non-essentials can sometimes help you worship right to stand to read the bible a lot of churches do that That can help you worship. It can remind you, stop goofing around. This is God's word. This matters. Stand up. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to do that. What we need to be careful is (laughs) when we start to make our practices and our preferences equal to the law of God. Here's the test for your own heart because I know Harvest has many people who've come from other churches. If all the things I mentioned above were taken away. Does church go on for you? Or, no, I need those things. <laughs> or, I'm really not sure what I'm doing here. Um, one stumbling block, well, many stumbling blocks come to those who visit it Harvest, but then other churches, I should go through this, is the absence of their favorite non-essentials. We, we've had people, more than one, this one always gets me. I don't get this one. But it's because of my cultural upbringing and I wasn't raised really a Christian. Um, we don't have a cross on the wall behind me while I preach. And that's really been a stumbling block for several people. I don't belittle that. They, they really think, can you be a church and not have a cross on the wall behind you when you preach? Now, you might... That might wake you up. You might go, they're right. And then you, I'd, have, I'd have you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, where'd you get that rule? Where, there are no crosses as decorations in the Bible, not a one. Are you, are you saying you can't have a cross? No, 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 I'm not saying that either. There's no prohibition. You don't have, you don't have to have a cross. <laughs> we, we had uh, some, one dear lady, whom I loved, and I still love, and she's not at the church anymore, said, we need to sing the doxology after you take an offering. That's her. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Anyway. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Right. Most evangelical churches traditionally have sung that after they take the offering. The pastor is praising God because he's like, I'm going to get paid this week. I think, I think there should be a rule, right? If you didn't put any money in, you're not allowed to sing the song. <laughs> then we'll find out. No, just kidding. And this dear lady said, we need to do this. I did it for her one time. I said, it's got to be meaningful since we never do it. Eventually, she went to another church. <laughs> Midweek services, people have tripped over that. Left the church because we didn't have midweek services. Or they may stumble over not just the absence of favorite non-essentials, but the presence of unfamiliar non-essentials. And the internet helps because the internet can teach you that if you go to a church that doesn't have windows and has a stage instead of a pulpit, it means it's all about a concert and entertainment and God's not there. And I had one lady who read that. I couldn't get her into her head. Jesus might be here. He might be here. He might be okay with the stage. And since we use video and have to use lights, we got to control the light. He might be okay with that. But that's okay because another website says if you use video, that's clearly not of God. Coffee in the worship area. They drink coffee while they worship. I was drinking coffee before I came up here. Uh, And I wasn't doing it because I knew I was preaching this. I was doing it because the coffee's good. That is a sin. It really is a sin to serve bad coffee to the Lord's people. And I want to confess that Kevin Giddings has done that many times. But he has repented of his sins. A couple years ago, he repented of his sins. You know, you can't drink coffee. Now, I'm not trying to condemn people for this. They've been trained to think this way. If you walk into a place, you call it a sanctuary, and it's always quiet. And then someone comes in with coffee? But it's a uh, non-essential why do people have a natural tendency towards elevating traditions until we equate them with true worship? I don't have a, a biblical answer to this, so your answer could be as good as mine, but thinking about it, I think in the text, there's a little hint that there's respect for the elders, right? He says, why don't you wash your hands like the elders did, right? And, and I kind of get that, right? When I'm dead and gone in, in 60 or 70 years, <laughs> And then someone else comes along and they're going to say, well, Pastor Mike always had us do it this way. Don't you respect him and the other elders and the people who planted the church and that generation for the sake of the last generation, people will keep practices. And then the next generation didn't even know that last generation, but it's already been established. This practice must happen or we're not doing church right. I think also repetition can lead. Repetition is good. We need it as humans. We need routine. We need rhythm. But you can, it can lead to practice of religion without meaning. Correct? I think nostalgia. You know, if I, if, I, if I just sang the doxology, some of you are thinking, I wish we would do that. Well, if we went back and did that, it would only take a few weeks till you started singing it by rote and not paying attention. You hear a lovely song you once sang at your old church. If only we sang those songs. So you go back to that church and they're all bored to death. No, I'm not saying all of them, but you know what I mean? It's nostalgia. Or, uh, when I grew up, the church smelled like something. It looked like something. Well, there's no, no, no guarantee nostalgia and worship are the same thing. Or that they go together. Or that you need to recreate some moment in your past. And, of course, there's preference. These are my ideas. You may have other ideas why. How can a church honor traditions but not elevate them to sacred practice? That is a very practical question for me. Whatever the answer is, I want to live it, right? So maybe I'm just preaching to me and hoping you'll not be too offended, (laughs) because then I won't be able to do it. (laughs) If you're offended by what I want to do, I won't be able to do it. We all have to go together. But how does a church honor traditions but not elevate them to sacred practice? Um, And and the more you look, the more you have them. at At the Congregation I'm in right now, we got these little gold things, little cups. You guys are used to those little cups. I guarantee you there was a church fight somewhere when they switched to plastic cups. And you don't have to have the gold things, you know. And okay, here's how you do it. I don't think it's hard, but it's hard. Here it is. Regularly examine and re-examine our routines of worship. Regularly examine and re-examine our routines. The leaders need to do it. The leaders need to be committed to examining and re-examining. What are they looking to measure? This should be obvious, right? From the sermon. They're, they're measuring, are we keeping the biblical things in front? Well, people today like really short sermons and puffy songs and <laughs> well, that's no, no. We need to be devoted to the teaching of the word. You know, we need to read the Bible in public. Are we doing the right things? Plus, are the extra biblical things we're doing or the non-essential things we're doing helping us achieve the biblical? That's how you know. Now, in my case, and I'm not speaking for others, my tradition growing up, holy water was useless because it didn't help any biblical tradition. To me, it was the same as throwing salt over your shoulder if you spill the salt. This got to (laughs) help. Yeah. It wasn't helping a biblical tradition at all. Well, I don't want to make fun of them. That's my experience there. What do we do that may not help? You can have an event that you got to do every year because we do it every year. Nobody likes it. The workers are now tired of it. But if you don't do it, at least eight people, and doggone it, they give money, are going to be mad because we always do this and it's their thing. Well, don't do it anymore. That's what I'd say. Look, here's how it works. There are churches all over the country let's get local all over western pennsylvania dying and you can go to them and you walk into a church and you go 1945 because the people and and change never comes to those churches because the people resist it because this is the way god taught us to do church right (laughs) and then there's I could say each generation, I could forget the question and say, look, I'm going to do my best when I die. Someone else's opportunity, someone else's problem. Each generation has their, has to renew it. That's not how it works. Each generation, you know, these, these young people do say, the last generation left this problem to us. That's just a stupid way to think. It's not how time travels. You don't get, okay, three, two, one. Okay, your generation's over. You're not in charge. Your generation, go. It doesn't work like that. You have to every day that's how it works in other words harvest community church until the conviction of the scripture changes in me or till i'm driven out (laughs) is going to be committed to the idea that change is good all the time if it improves our ability to do the biblical essentials so things won't stay the same and people say well i liked it the way it was you might have it's not that way anymore and that's okay, because <laughs> we don't want to become a congregation of people who honor God with our lips. Right. Oh, I have a great illustration I'm going to skip, because I don't want to change everything now, and time does matter, so let me move to the last portion. <laughs> How can we be sure that we're worshiping God with our hearts and not just giving lip service? This is an individual question. The other one's kind of collective. But it results in individual worshipers. You can either worship by washing your hands, like the Pharisees said, and doing this, and all these other things. And you go to the Pharisees and say, am I worshiping God? They say, yes, you're worshiping God. But then God looks down and says, no, you're not. Right? This is the problem you, as an individual, want to avoid. You can literally worship God, and still, God says, you're not worshiping me. You can go to church, you can do what they tell you, and not be worshiping God. Anyone can. Anyone can. For the map. Then how is one saved? By a personal relationship. It, salvation does not come from religious practice. This is in our map. By a personal relationship, salvation does not come from religious practice. Rather, our religious practice follows our salvation. You get saved first, then you practice religion. And our salvation comes from meeting Jesus. You say, well, I've never seen him. You don't have to see them with your eyes to see them. The Bible uses very invasive relationship words when it talks about Jesus. The, The number one strong word that bowls me over is the word receive. But as many as received him. You have to receive Jesus. You have to receive the Holy Spirit. Think of that. Receive the Holy Spirit is much different than doing religion, isn't it? You can go to a church and do all kinds of external things but to receive the Holy Spirit is very personal, isn't it? Did you guys see that door just shut by itself? That's God. He wants you to listen. <laughs> to, if, you receive, if you receive coronavirus into you, watch, don't be afraid of it. It'll do what coronavirus does. If you receive a sufficient amount of fiber into your body, it'll do what fiber does. If you receive sun rays into your body, it'll do what sun does. If you receive God and stay the same, you haven't received God. You' have the most powerful force in the universe in you, And that's how He wants to meet you. There's not a waiting gradually. You either receive or you don't. So you either let Jesus envelope. This is so intimate. You're like, well, I'm really tough with friendships. I take time. Okay, take time with the rest of us. Don't take time with Jesus. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of, the, not of blood or the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. That's relational language, isn't it, my friends? Isn't that relational? You receive him, you believe in him, you become a child. Isn't a child to parent a relationship? Salvation is a relationship. You, get, you must meet Jesus. Have you received him? As we go, you may be here because it's church time. And kind of like me when I was young, can't hurt. Can't hurt. Maybe i get a little blessing. But like me when I was young... That's all it is. Have you received Jesus Christ? Has a life-changing relationship with God invaded your soul? You might say, well, does he want me? Well, I'll say this. He did a lot to make this relationship possible. Woman says, does he love me? Better prove it with a ring. (laughs) Not that ring. We have to do better than that. We need flowers. We need you showing up. We need you meeting the parents. We need you behaving. Wash behind your ears, boy. Prove you love me. Well, God did more than that. He came down from heaven. He took on a body. He died on a cross. He rose again. And he sent people to tell you. Many of them gave their lives to bring the gospel. And he offers you a lot if you receive him. You get his spirit. You get his father as your father. You get inheritance. You get eternal life. You get joy. My friend, sincere religious practice, as admirable as it looks to us, is of no value unless there's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven... Listen, my friends, those who say, Lord, Lord, are in churches somewhere where they wouldn't say, Lord, Lord. They'd say, Krishna, Krishna, Buddha, Buddha. These are people in Christian churches. At the end of time, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do many mighty works? Weren't we good religious folk? And he's going to say, I never what? What? Knew you. We never met. Yeah, you were working hard for your religion. You were doing the stuff the preachers told you. But have we met? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What about you? Do you know him? Have you received him? Jesus died for you because he loves you. To receive him is a decision. He's done his part of the relationship. He's offered himself. You're surrounded, if you're in any of our campuses, by people who've made this decision, who are rooting for you. And they can all tell you, it's a decision. Yes, I will receive you, Jesus. And then you let him do the rest. Then join us in all the religious stuff. Because now it'll have meaning. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church we invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.